This is your coffee break. Hey friends, I'm back again this week and I have with me today author and teacher Esther Goldenberg. Um, She has recently published a brand new book and by recently I mean a couple months ago. Um, And she also owns Three Gems Publishing. Esther, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I kind of want to jump right in and talk about your journey to becoming a writer. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into writing. Well, my background is in education and specifically elementary school education. And I've always, for as long as I can remember, made up stories in my head Um, long before I was a teacher. I actually remember telling my little sister stories all the time. She would always ask me. She's about five years younger than I am. And she would ask, oh, will you tell me a story? Will you tell me a story? Um, So I think I've always been telling stories. But it wasn't until a few years ago that I started writing them down. And um, the first book that I wrote, it's not published, but it's one of my favorites because I wrote it with my older daughter. And and I would take the dog for a walk and go into this world that we created together, this world of fiction. It happened to be a a book about a brother and sister. It's um, sort of magic treehouse-esque. I don't know how familiar you are with eight-year-old literature. Very, actually. (laughs) (laughs) So something along those lines. But the nice thing was that we got to really invent these characters and their situations. And it was one of the most fabulous bonding experiences I've ever had with my own child. And those were the first stories that I really started writing down. Like I said, they're not published, but it sort of got me started. I love that. What a powerful reason to start writing stories down. Thank you. A lot of times in the classroom, I would also use stories as a teaching tool because they can be very engaging. And, you know, when you have a bunch of wiggly little kids, you want to engage them. Um, uh-huh. And so it would be a great tool. Um, and of course, I did a lot of read alouds in school, which the kids loved um, when it was a good book. And they also had what we called dear time. I don't know if this is a common phrase, but dear stands for drop everything and read, D-E-A-R. Oh my gosh, I love that. and a lot of the kids in the class would really look forward to deer time but I had kids in the class who really dreaded deer time actually Mm. um, because reading wasn't an area where they felt confident and so you know generally speaking most of us don't want to do things (laughs) that we don't feel confident with Um, and that sort of got me started with the writing again because it gave me um, a very personal reason to start writing because I really wanted to help engage these kids and help show them how great reading can be. And I really wanted to do that with them when they were young, because I myself as a young student and reader um, didn't like reading at all. And I pretty much avoided it whenever I could until I was about 16 or 17 years old. Mm. And I missed a lot because of that. You know, I mean, if you're a book lover, you know, I missed a lot of great books in that in that time period. And I want to help turn these kids on to reading at a younger age than I was. 
Definitely. Can you tell me a little bit more about sort of an early dislike for reading? I, I have the feeling that I know a lot of writers who are listening to this show were early readers, but maybe some of them weren't and, and would resonate with your story. I think a lot of it goes back to the fact that most of us don't like to do things that we're not good at. And a lot of us struggle with the actual physical act of reading. So it's not that's not the same as decoding or figuring out, you know, that TH makes like you can know that really well, but um, the eye muscles could be straining or there could be something underlying like dyslexia that just makes the act of reading challenging. Mm -hmm. And in school, reading is really the gateway for everything else. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to read even to do math. You have to read instructions and kids are asked to read all day long. Um, and it can be really challenging and it can really hurt a lot of kids' self-esteem when they feel like they're asked all day, every day to do something that they're not really good at, or at least they don't feel like they're good at. So this is something that's really, like I said, close to my heart because um, besides wanting kids to be able to enjoy books, I really don't want them to have that feeling of not good enough. I think sometimes adults will get this accidental misconception of how good kids should be at reading. So even though we all know that like it's your seventh birthday, there's no little switch that goes off in your head and says, now you're a reader. You know, <laughs> Every kid wakes up on their birthday and says, I don't feel any different. You know, nobody wakes up on their birthday becoming a reader, but there are these expectations in first and second and third grade that you can read at a certain level. And what I want to do is, hopefully help adult, adults focus on the fact that actually even by third grade, and even though I say kids spend a lot of time in school reading, they actually don't have that much reading experience by that time. And it sounds sort of ironic, but if you think about the books that they're reading, I mean, some of my favorite books for first graders, for example, are Henry and Mudge. So Henry and Mudge is about, I don't know, 32 pages long, maybe... 25 words on each page or something like that. If you think of a kid who's read that book, they haven't read that much. Right. Right. It's not, it's not a whole lot of reading for them. It's still work. Um, and it should be work that's age appropriate. Um, but when they finish the book and they've accomplished that, they don't have that much more reading experience under their belt. So I want to try to look at the expectations that we place on kids so that we can sort of get this view of, Maybe the reason that they think it's hard is because they don't have that much experience in it and they need some more experience and, of course, positive experience with reading. So I don't know if you know John Irving in The World According to Garp. I do. But at that point, I didn't know John Irving or The World According to Garp. And um, I, I tell this story in my book, Resistant to Reading. I was working as a nanny for an author one summer. And I came into the study and she was watching the movie of The World According to Garp with Robin Williams. And I walked in and, and I sat down to watch the movie and she said, um, have you read the book? And I said, no, I hadn't because I had not read most books and I hadn't heard of it. And she said, oh, you can't watch this movie without reading the book. It will make no sense at all. And she pointed me towards the book where I could find it in her house and she sent me off to read. And um, I loved this family that I was a nanny for, but I was still sort of a stubborn teenager. <laughs> so 
Um, so I went and got the book and I sort of, I started reading it out of spite. And I was like, what? She's not going to let me watch this movie until I read the book. Fine. I'll read the book. And I just got caught up in it. And it was such a roller coaster ride. And it was the first time that I'd experienced a book as an experience, mm-hmm. actually, and not just a chore. And even though it was still challenging for me to read and because not because I couldn't read, but because it was an effort for my eyes. Mm-hmm. It was worth it this time. And reading that book really opened the door to me, for me, to many other books, of course, John Irving books. And then um, just I, I switched my view of myself as a non-reader to a reader. And so I started looking at books differently. I started seeing them as something that I could enjoy. So looking at you, I love that you said, and this is something that you did all by yourself, was switching your view of yourself mm-hmm. from, you know, a non-reader to a reader. Did you do the same thing when you became a writer? I did, actually. It was a bit of a revelation. And I had written a lot of things before I looked at myself and said, oh, I'm a writer. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> um so it, I did. I switched my view, but I don't think either time was intentional. I just had to sort of experience it for a little while and then step back and look at it and go, oh, so that's what's happening here. That's a great Maybe description. Maybe other people are more self-aware than I was. But. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I like the idea of it as, as a realization instead of an action. I think that that's, that makes it a little bit more palatable for people who are maybe frustrated that they don't see themselves as writers yet. Maybe the realization has yet to come. I think part of what helped me too was in being a teacher and wanting to share these experiences and help create these experiences for kids. I'm able to look at it for myself as well when I can look at it for them first. Mm -hmm. So when I help my students to change their view of themselves as from non-reader to reader it sort of becomes the world that I live in at that point, And I can maybe have that um, a similar view of myself. And that was, I mean, that was the goal behind my book, My Nutty Family. There was a little boy who is a teenager now, so he probably won't be offended that I call say that he was little when he was nine. <laughs> um, there was a little boy who was in fourth grade who struggled with dyslexia. And this kid is such an amazing kid. He's smart and athletic and kind and just excelling in every area except reading. And so his self-esteem was starting to drip down because of this reading. And even more so, he was getting frustrated that the books that he was being asked to read in fourth grade were too hard for him. And the books that he was given instead were too boring for him because the reading level was low, but the interest level for him as a nine-year-old was also low. Mm -hmm. And that was really what sparked my, um, my creativity for creating my nutty family. I thought, you know what, if he just got to have this in bite-sized pieces and it was at his reading level and at his interest level, he would be able to read without that huge weight on his shoulder And so I actually wrote My Nutty Family one chapter at a time, and I printed it in 14-point font and gave it to him on two pieces of paper. And so as soon as he got it, he knew 
that he was almost done even before he started, you know, (laughs) it was not going to be a huge chore. He knew he was almost done before he started. And because he knew me, he trusted me to provide him with something that was, you know, not going to be too awful. (laughs) And so he read that first chapter and he liked it and he asked for more. And that makes me feel so proud that I can now give you know, other kids with dyslexia or other kids who are reluctant readers for whatever reason, or even kids who are just, you know, starting off with reading, they can now pick up my nutty family in their hands. And it's not one page at a time, but it still has really short chapters so that they get the same experience that he did of picking up a chapter and knowing, okay, I'm almost done, even before they start it. And then they get to laugh as they turn the pages. And it makes me so proud when I hear from parents and kids, um, that they really like reading this book. It helps me feel like I could turn their, um, vision of themselves around too, that they're no longer non-readers. Now they're kids who like reading. I hear a lot of very interesting things and it sounds like there's, there's a lot of psychology that goes into this. And I'm so interested. You mentioned the word trust. Um, like he was, he was able to trust you. Can you, can you elaborate on that a little bit? I'm really fascinated by the element of trust that comes with reading. Well, I think it goes back to that challenge. You know, I wasn't going to ask him to, sometimes I make the analogy of climbing Mount Everest. Mm. So if I were to climb Mount Everest, I imagine that the view would be unimaginable, actually, just so phenomenal and breathtaking, amazing. It would be such a tremendous reward for that climb. But I can pretty much guarantee you that I will never climb Mount Everest because of the amount of effort that's going to go into it. And reading is a lot like that for some kids. Mm -hmm. It's that hard climb without the payoff at the end, or maybe the payoff is good, but it's not so good that it's worth all that effort. So when I was giving him these pieces of paper, um, because we had an established relationship, he already trusted me and knew that I understood that reading was a challenge for him and that it didn't mean he wasn't smart or wasn't trying. So we knew each other in real life, you know, and, and so we had established that trust. But when I'm able to establish that trust with kids who I've never met, because my nutty hat family has those same ingredients of the short chapters and the illustrations and I even published it actually in a large font with lots of space between each line. And some of the feedback that I get from kids, not from parents, but directly from kids is, I love this book because I never read the same line twice. And a lot of parents don't realize that their kids are doing this, that they're reading, they get to the end of the line, and then they you know, move their eyes back like in a typewriter. And there, there they are at the beginning of that same line again. And it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. And it's no fun because you don't understand the story when you do that. Mm-hmm. And so now you're just reading words and there's no story. It's like my five-year-old is starting to read. And she's, you know, she's doing a great job for a five-year-old. But, of course, it's a long task. So she just picked up her first chapter book the other day and read the first sentence. And that was enough for her, which is totally <laughs> fine. It was maybe 12 words, and she had to sound each one out phonetically. And by the end of the sentence, she had no idea what she'd read Mm -hmm. because she was sounding each word out phonetically. She did it correctly, and she said each word as a whole, but there was so much work involved in just decoding 
that she didn't know what she'd read. And this is happening to kids a lot of times when they're rereading a word or rereading a line. They're not getting the fabulous story that's in the book. So I'm so glad when I can establish that trust with the kids that, hey, you know, I know this is hard for you and I've made it easier so that you can enjoy it. It's so rewarding for me. You talked about um, making it worth the effort. Would you mm-hmm. have any advice for writing for maybe adults who are reluctant, who are reluctant readers? Or is there anything that really draws you into a book today? Well, I think adults who are reluctant readers have an advantage these days because we can listen to books. And so, you know, there's nothing wrong, I think, with listening to a book. You still get that same fabulous content. And that's true for adults and kids alike. You know, kids have to read things for school and homework, but, you know, it's the same content. So I would say don't miss out just because reading is hard. You know, you can, you can still um, listen to books, but if you're writing for, for somebody who's a reluctant reader, I think you can use some of those same tricks of just making it um, less challenging to read, maybe a bigger font, maybe more space, uh, maybe shorter chapters. Still to this day, when I open a book, I will look, when I start a chapter, I will look and see how long of a commitment I need to make <laughs> when I'm going into this chapter. Like, am I going to have to read a lot? Is there is there like a little pause in between with asterisks or space, you know, where I can stop and rest? Because it's, it's work. Mm-hmm. For me, it's still work. Even though now I enjoy it and the payoff is worth it, it's still a challenge, just like, you know, you might be really great at walking, but if I ask you to walk 26 miles in one day, it might still be a challenge. I agree. And I love that perspective. So thank you for sharing that with us. I'm also really curious, you started your own publishing company. I did. Tell me all about it. Well, it's called Three Gems Publishing. And I started it actually when I wanted to publish my first book, which is called Hypatia Academy. Now, Hypatia Academy is a middle grade fantasy fiction novel, and it's written for like third through sixth graders. It's about a girl who becomes a reluctant heroine in her own journey. When I wrote this book, it was more than just about writing it for me. I told you about the books that I wrote with my daughter, which were so fun to write, and I felt no compelling reason to publish those books because it was all about the act of writing it with my daughter. But Hypatia Academy was different. When I finished this book, I thought this book really isn't finished until it's published. And I felt at that time, I didn't want to go through all that you have to go through with traditional publishing, finding an agent and um, shopping it out and giving up your royalties and more importantly, giving up your control. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a great path for some people, but for me, it just wasn't the right completion for Hypatia Academy. And so I decided to publish it myself and I didn't know how to do, I didn't know anything about publishing, um, but I decided to learn took a long time. (laughs) And at the end of the process, it was such an incredible high to hold my book in my hands. This book that I'd worked on and had grown in my heart, this world that I'd created and this message that it has for readers, but it's, you know, inside of a story, it's not didactic. And to have this be created, I thought, you know what, now that I know how to publish, I can do this for other people Mm. who also 
not only don't want to learn how to publish, but don't want to make a career of it because they're busy doing other things. You know, they're, they're out there, maybe they're writing, maybe they're teachers, um, whatever their, um, I'm using air quotes here, real job is. <laughs> um, they're busy people and learning how to publish takes a long time. And I thought to be able to bring that transformation to other people is such a blessing. And there are so many people out in the world who have written or are writing fantastic books that just won't get published through traditional publishing because the publishers know that they're not going to make their money back on that book. It doesn't speak anything about the quality of the book. It's just not a moneymaker. So the publisher is not going to invest in that book. But for somebody who doesn't want to learn self-publishing, I thought I could provide this alternative path um, so that they can also have that experience of holding their published book in their hands, sharing it with the world. What was one of the biggest challenges as you sort of dove into this world of publishing? Well, remember I told you I read The World According to Garp out of spite? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So what I left out of this publishing story is that I also kind of self-published out of spite. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was really motivated, but um, I approached a publisher named Angela Loria, who has a... She has a publishing company called Difference Press, and she publishes books that make a difference. And I thought, oh, my goodness, Hypatia Academy is so perfect for this because when kids read this book and internalize the message and they've gone through this journey with this reluctant hero and they can relate, this book makes a difference. I know this. I can feel it in my heart and my bones as an educator. I know the response that the children would have. And I approached her and I said, this book really makes a difference. And she just said, no, we don't publish those kinds of books. <laughs> and, and I was, I was hurt a little bit because I know it's a book that makes a difference. But, you know, when I licked my wounds a little bit, I know that that's actually not what her publishing company does. They publish um, sort of self-help and um, coach coaching books like that. And Hypatia Academy doesn't, fall under that category. So I thought, okay, fine. If she's not going to do it, then I'm just going to learn it myself. And so one of my biggest challenges was first actually getting over that hump of rejection, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, no matter how much sense it made. Um, and then just being pushed forward by this, you know, strong emotion that I was feeling really helped and then to be honest, you know, I don't want to discourage anybody from self-publishing because in all honesty, it's not that hard to learn. And what I felt was at that time in my life, I had more time than money. Um, and so I was going to learn how to do it rather than pay people for the different pieces that you can hire people to, you know, upload it and mm -hmm. format it and all those other things. I learned how to do those pieces myself so that I could publish Hypatia Academy. And I think that really, in all honesty, it was time consuming, but not very difficult. I appreciate you saying that. I appreciate your honesty. I love that you're willing to say, yeah, I kind of did this out of spite. And it's it's funny because that's almost how I started podcasting as well. <laughs> I was like, I have more time than money. I might as well figure this out and just, you know, I'm going to create my own thing. And there's there's something really awesome about that. Well, I'm so glad that you created your podcast. Actually, I've listened to many authors during their coffee talks, and it's always fun to hear the different experiences that people have. 
Yes, I really appreciate that. It's it's just everybody is is so wildly different, and yet we're all kind of working toward the same thing. And actually, to that point, that that raises a question. A lot of writers have talked about dreaming of shedding their day job, quote unquote, and living the dream as a paid author. But it sounds like you're kind of doing the opposite of that. Well, with with the book that I released most recently, um, I don't know if I mentioned it. It's called Resistant to Reading tricks and tips for parents of reluctant readers. And I was inspired to write this book sort of um, after My Nutty Family because of what we were talking about earlier and wanting to share these tricks and tips with parents who are probably living with a reluctant reader Mm -hmm. or, you know, some parents are living with reluctant readers. And I have to tell you, you know, again, with reading being the gateway to all schoolwork, when your kid comes home in the afternoon and has to do more reading, Mm Um, there are so many parents who I've talked to who are sure that their kid has 30 minutes of homework, but somehow it takes from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. to argue about it. Ah, you know? yes. <laughs> so this is, um, for me, something that I really feel passionately should not happen in anybody's life because it's miserable. Uh, <laughs> so I wanted to write Resistant to Reading to help parents sort of move past that, help their kids move past that help make that shift in everybody's head of what the right expectations are and how to view yourself as a reader and what that means. And so what I've been doing actually since that book launched is I've been teaching these tricks to parents. So the book is the beginning and it's filled with information so that any do-it-yourselfer like you or me um, can take all that information and help their kid on their own at home. But sometimes people need a little more encouragement and a little bit more of a coach Mm. to help them go through that. So what I've been doing in terms of turning my writing into a business is using that book that I wrote to help other parents to help their kids. And so it's not that I'm selling all these books to become a full-time writer, but helping kids become readers is helping me be a full-time writer. Oh my gosh, I love that. I love that. And I love that it's based in helping other people. That is really, really what it should be all about. Esther, I'm so I'm so much enjoying our conversation. Can you let people know where they can find you online, where they can find your books and Three Gems Publishing? Absolutely. So the best place to find me is at EstherGoldenberg.com. I'm going to spell out my name because sometimes people misspell it. It's E-S-T-H-E-R-G-O-L. D-E-N-B-E-R-G.com. And all my books are up there. And you can actually download My Nutty Family for free if you have a resistant reader at home. Um, And they can try it out and see how they like that book. I'm also on Facebook. And I'm not a big fan of other social media platforms. So I don't go there. But you can find me on Facebook at um, Esther Goldenberg Author. And you can also find me at 3gemspublishing.com. I'm not an orderly person and my notes here are like, so I, I just have this like big swath of notes. Um, oh, that's funny. I thought you were going to ask me about if it's possible to be a writer without being an orderly person, which <laughs> you probably know from experience now that it is. And I would just second that. <laughs> <laughs> I totally get that. Um, I guess what I kind of want to ask is what's next for you? Well, I actually have a couple of sequels in the works. So my nutty family is a series 
And um, actually within the first book that you would hold in your hand, there are three books inside of that first volume, again, to give those kids that feeling of quick accomplishment and success. Mm -hmm. So the next volume of will also have three books, and that's in the works. And I've just recently started writing a sequel to Hypatia Academy, which I'm very excited about, but I also know it's going to take a long time for that story to sort of work its way through my consciousness and come out on paper. Very, very cool. Well, we'll look forward to seeing those from you. And uh, in the meantime, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on today's show. I hope you have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you, and you too.